with a foot stomp was the exasperated declaration of a certain 12-year-old after another round of restrictions and cancellations and plans that kind of threw us back into isolation. Uh, What is the point of life now anyway? I feel like that's a good summation of the question that everyone's been wrestling with in these last few years. I think that question has been intensified, right? It's got right up in our faces as we've dealt with the realities of this pandemic. What's life, what's the point of life now anyway as we seek to think about the interaction of life and work, as we think about the existential challenges of being physically present or absent with one another, the simple sustaining powers of sunlight and fresh air, how does that speak into what life is all about? What about the vulnerability of life and what that says about what life is all about? These questions have been clarifying, maybe confusing. These questions have reinforced some of our habits and priorities. They've destabilised lots of our habits and priorities. For everyone, the last few years have been discombobulating at best. It's a great word, isn't it? Onomatic poetically makes sense. It's been discombobulating. And church life specifically, think about it, we've spent 34 weeks in the last two years where we haven't been able to meet together. What does that say about who we are and what we do? And basically every other week of those two years, including this morning, as I look at your masked faces and heads, we've had some level of restriction or limitation or fracture in our fellowship as I wave to the camera and everyone sitting at home. For all of us, this has meant that church life has been disjointed. What we want to be like this has been at best like that. For many of us, this has meant that church life has been disconnected physically, emotionally. You don't have to tell me. I know that it's hard to connect emotionally through the camera and the screen, right? And for some of us, The last two years have been utterly disintegrating and it's just a little hard to know where to start. One of the things I wanted to say to you all this morning is that's true for everyone. Whether you feel slightly disconnected, whether you feel just a little bit disjointed, whether you feel completely disintegrated emotionally, relationally, spiritually, I haven't met anyone who has said to me the last two years have been awesome. I haven't met anyone who has said to me, I've been thriving and growing the whole way through. 
And one of the great lies and strategies of the devil, as we talked about in our series in 1 Peter, is to isolate us and to make us think, what I'm experiencing is unique and no one else can understand and no one else is going through what I'm going through. But that's not true. And so as we've started a new year, we've said that we want 2022 to be about renewal together, renewing our partnership together, renewing our people by seeking to reach out as well as to build each other up and to renew our property as we keep trying to think about how to use this place for Jesus. And today we're thinking about renewing our partnership and one of the rocks in the pond that we'll see how it ripples out is to think about our vision as a church to refocus our vision. That's one of the, the, the goals that we had under renewing our partnership, as you'll see on the screen on the next one. Thanks, Levi. Refocusing our vision. We want to start that conversation today by thinking about that prayer from Romans 15. How might that help us think about the vision of where we're going and who we need to be because of who Jesus is and what he's done? In business, vision is all about looking to your preferred future that you're working towards, right? And if business vision's about working, working towards your preferred future, biblical vision is about looking to God's perfected future. A perfected future that we're not so much working towards, but that God is including us in. And as we get to Colossians next week and for the next chunk of months working through that book in the New Testament together, Colossians will focus us on Jesus as the centrepiece of God's vision for his perfected future, the one by whom and for whom everything exists, the one to whom, the one to whom and in whom God is reconciling all things in order that Jesus might be first, that in everything Jesus might have the supremacy Colossians 1 verse 18. And as we think about what that kind of vision looks like in Romans 15, that vision of God's perfected future looks to the ingathering of the nations through the Messiah Jesus. By God's mercy, he gathers people from every tribe and nation and language to be given to Jesus forever, to, to praise his mercy to bring him glory, to enjoy him forever. And Romans 15 is all about the fact that the local church is meant to be an expression of that reality. Gathering people together to be united in Jesus by God's mercy and for God's glory. And that they love one another, they serve one another. They build one another up and they bring more people in in order to be an expression of that perfected future of where God is taking the universe. Where God is taking the universe is that he is gathering people to himself by his mercy and for his glory in and through the Lord Jesus and especially his completed work of salvation on the cross and his resurrection to eternal life. And what do we need 
in order to consistently and expectantly and urgently look towards that future of being gathered to Jesus by God's mercy and his glory forever. What is it that we need? Well, we need hope. Hope is what looks towards that future with urgency and expectancy. But Christian hope also looks towards that future with certainty and with clarity. Hope is what waits for that future. Hope is what longs for that future. Which is why as Paul in Romans 15 talks about this great promise that God is bringing people from every nation together. He's gathering them to to his praise and to his glory. So how does he conclude? What is it that he prays? What is the final thing that pours forth from his heart when he considers that vision, when he considers that future? Well, it's there in verse 13 and you'll see it on the screen. This is the prayer. So may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The foundation of all of it is the God of hope. Everyone in the world wants hope and they know that. The problem is when you remove hope from the foundation of God and his character and his promises and his finished work of salvation in Jesus, when you take the God bit away and just say we need hope, all the clarity and the certainty and the expectancy of hope is taken away. And hope in our world then becomes this thing of, I don't really know, but I'm crossing my fingers and closing my eyes to hope for the best. It's wishful thinking. And the Bible says that Christian hope of that perfected future is anything but wishful thinking. It has clarity, it has certainty, It should have expectancy in our lives because it comes from the God of hope. It's about his trustworthiness because he keeps his promises. It's about his love and his grace because he includes people in those promises. It's about his power and his sovereignty because he can achieve those promises. Because hope is grounded in God's character and his promises. It can have all kinds of certainty about his perfected future because he's promised it, because he's demonstrated it in Jesus and his death and resurrection. We know that he will do it. Hope comes from God. He gives it on the basis of his character and the basis of his promises. And when the God of hope is seeking to give you hope, what does he fill you with? 
and he fills you with all joy and peace. And it's not the joy and peace of your own concoction, it's the joy and peace that comes from trusting him, placing all your confidence in those promises, placing all your trust in his character and what he's done for you in Jesus. As you trust in the God of hope, he will fill you with all joy and peace. Chapter 5 in Romans says that he fills you with his Holy Spirit, who he pours into your heart. That's how he fills you with joy and peace. And the joy that he fills you with as, as you trust in him is not the happiness of, of relieve, being relieved from your circumstances. We got some of that hope last night, didn't you? Watching the tennis. I, I found it insightful that so many times last night, commentators and players said, Australia really needed this. That's a declaration of we need hope. And it's a, it's a reaching out for the fact that hope has something to do with happiness and being relieved from difficult circumstances. But as you wake up on Sunday morning, you might still be happy that Ash Barty won. But the circumstances are the same. And where's the hope going to come from this week? The hope that's beyond your circumstances. The hope that can't be dashed by your circumstances. The hope that is, 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 is a, a strong and certain foundation to stand upon not just for today, but tomorrow and for eternity. And so what does Paul do throughout the book of Romans in considering the hope that Jesus gives, that joy and peace that comes from knowing Jesus as Saviour and Lord? He keeps holding it up to things that might um, compete against or attack your hope. Suffering? Is that going to dash your hope? Is that going to rob you of joy? Well, no, because that joy and hope is bigger than those circumstances. It's bigger than your suffering. You can suffer in this life and the joy that comes from knowing Jesus can remain, which is not just the happiness of, of brief relief in your circumstances but the joy of knowing Jesus and the forgiveness of your sins forever it's the peace that comes from being reconciled to your creator God not simply the peace that comes from taking a break from life and everything it's throwing at you and so in chapter 8, Paul says, well, what's going to rob us of our hope? Will famine? Well, no, because we know we'll be provided for for eternity by Jesus, the Good Shepherd. Well, nakedness? Well, no, because we know we're going to be cared for and sheltered under his grace forever. Well, sword? 
Well, we know because we know that he is making all things new and he is the prince of peace. Will angels or demons know? Because we know that by his cross he has he's been exalted to the right hand of God far above every ruler and power in the universe. Paul keeps holding up these things to say, is there anything that's bigger? Is there anything that can take your hope, that can take your joy, that can take your peace, that comes from knowing Jesus as Saviour and Lord? And the conclusion keeps coming, no, no, no. Because ultimately that joy and peace that comes from knowing Jesus is the joy of sins forgiven. It's the peace of being reconciled to God and having eternal life with him that begins now and will never be interrupted. It will never be taken away, even by death itself. As one writer has said, despair is what you get when you only can see the immediate things. Hope is what you get when you're able to see God's ultimate things. And because those ultimate things of Jesus removing our sin on the cross and taking God's judgment upon his shoulders and opening for us the gate of glory, the gate of eternal life with him forever... Because Jesus has done that, there is nothing that can stand in our way. Death itself has been defeated. Sin has been removed. The devil's been defeated. Those greatest things that will stand in our way of lasting joy, of eternal peace, Jesus has dealt with in order that we might know the joy and peace that comes through trusting Him. The joy of realising that God loves us as much as He loves Jesus. The joy of the promise to finish the work that He has begun in us. The joy of knowing that He is at work in all things in all things for our good. The peace of experiencing his presence in our storms, in our weakness, in our mess. The peace from realising that forever, that our forever will be beyond all that we can ask and imagine when every tear will be wiped away and all things will be made right. The peace of believing that he is still in charge of history and that Jesus will return at just the right time. As the God of hope fills you with that joy and peace as you trust in him, it's important to realise that as Paul prays that, he's praying in the plural. That it's not just your individualistic salvation that brings joy and peace, but it is the thing that we're meant to be filled with together in order that we together might overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.
so that more and more people might see as we navigate the ups and downs of life, the trials and temptations, the suffering and the sickness, the depression and the disappointment. That we don't pretend that everything is okay and that we're happy all the time, but we have a peace that passes understanding and a a joy that's in Jesus that transcends even our sufferings. One of the, the great things of this pandemic has been online streaming platforms. Praise the Lord. And uh, one of the joys of online streaming platforms is that my kids are now starting to, to realise that The Simpsons is genius. And they get to laugh at some of the same jokes that I laughed at when I was their age. It's wonderful. And so watching a Simpsons episode the other day, I saw this this great picture of what I think we often think of what we, we think it means to rejoice in our sufferings and to, to have joy even in tough circumstances. It's that scene where they think that everyone's going to lose our job. Homer says, this is terrible, we're all going to lose our jobs. And Marge says, look at all these worried faces. Except for Lenny, who's had plastic surgery, he looks great. And Lenny, with his plastic surgery, has this plastic smile. And you can hear Lenny saying, this, this is the worst day of my life, <laughs> through this plastic smile. Is that what it means, to be filled with joy even in suffering? A plastic smile that kind of ignores your circumstances? No. It means being real about the difficulties, about the challenges, about the disintegration of the last couple of years. Being sorrowful, but always rejoicing. Knowing that the things that are causing the sorrow and the suffering cannot rob you of what Jesus has given you in the forgiveness of sins, in the gift of eternal life and the joy of eternal fellowship with him forever. Friends, God's perfected future that's guaranteed in Jesus and his death and resurrection and his imminent return. That's a wonderful thing for us to rearrange our lives around. Let me rephrase that. It's a wonderful thing to have rearrange our lives in order that we might fix our eyes and wait for that hope, to look to that future as we trust in the God of hope and he fills us with the joy and peace that can never be taken away. As we begin this new year together, my question for you, as I ask you to pray this prayer with me, is that how might that shape us as a church for the sake of the nations? and our neighbours, and the next generation,
that we might overflow with hope together. Shall we pray? Our Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus and the hope that we have held out in the gospel that's grounded in your character, that's based on your promises, that's achieved through Jesus' work of salvation for us. Please help us to trust in you and so be filled with the joy and peace that only you can bring. That we might not only have hope, but we would overflow with it. By your mercy and for your glory. Amen. Why don't we stand and we'll sing together.